uh, um, has been sent to jail for 13 months uh, because he apparently uh, he infected his girlfriend with... Hello, welcome to the STI podcast. This is Michael War from Leeds. Uh, I'm a retired venereologist or sexual health physician or general physician, call it what you want. And I'm going to be speaking to a, a very well-esteemed colleague of mine, Dr. David Goldmeyer, who is a consultant in sexual health, but with a very great interest in psychological medicine at St. Mary's Hospital, Paddington. And he was a colleague, uh, Jenny Petrak, who's a psychologist, has recently written an editorial for uh, sexually transmitted infections on how to recognize sexual addiction in a sexual health clinic setting. Now, this is uh, of great interest to clinicians and others in the field. And uh, we're going to have some pearls of wisdom, I think, from David in the next few minutes. I began this talk on how to recognize sexual addiction in a sexual health clinic setting by how did he come to write this editorial. Uh, he told me that he was very interested by the work of Kafka, uh, a psychiatrist in America, who has uh, written about this disorder that he considers, which is called hypersexual disorder. I actually first heard this gentleman, Martin Kafka. Yes. I don't know if he's related to the Kafka. I was going to ask you, who, who is uh, Kafka? I don't know if he's related, but I guess he might be. And he's a Harvard psychiatrist. Yes. Um, I heard him talk about sexual addictions for actually three hours. However, not everyone accepts what he says. I can quite see that reading the paper. <laughs> One or two things rather worried me. <laughs> yes, and the the actual paper that the paper I referenced is a 34-page article actually by Kafka, who has said he would like to put this forward for the Diagnostic and Statistics Manual Number Five, which is coming out next year. Yes. But it received a lot of flack. But actually, if I can describe two types of typical patients... Do, do, because I think this is um, what we're going to, going to find very interesting. Okay, so uh, one type of patient is the guy who maybe looks at internet sex actually for about half an hour, two or three times a week. Or he could be a young man who, you know, has sex perhaps with a few different partners and he's having sex every night of the week. Uh, but he holds down a good job and he uses a condom. So yeah. in those two situations, actually, I think Martin Kafka and actually everybody would say that that is not pathological. If you like those two situations, uh, perhaps you have a young man or a not-so-young man who actually wants to have a lot of sex. Um, it doesn't interfere with his life at all. He can get on with his work. You know, he's happy and content. You could say also a young man or perhaps not-so-young man is masturbating maybe uh, maybe a couple of times a day or even three times a day. It doesn't interfere with his life at all. So I think we could consider those two cases to be normal. I'd consider them to be very normal. You'd first of all talk about pornographic pornography on the Internet. Yes. You only mentioned it three times a week. I've seen an awful lot of the population, the male population, looks at it at least once a day. Well, that's right. You know, there's another guy who's an Internet expert, and he would say that actually this is quite normal. I mean, these are cases that... I sound extreme, but I see them not uncommonly in my sexual dysfunction clinic, and I occasionally see them in the walk-in GU clinics. Now, if you go from that end of the spectrum to the other end of the spectrum, you know, these are cases 
of men who may be masturbating for actually, say, actually five or eight hours a day on a continuous basis. Oh, most of their find the time. Uh, well, the problem is that they haven't got the time, and it disrupts their job, it disrupts their life. So it already has a pathological flavor to it. And underlying that, they have a mood problem. If you ask them carefully, why are you doing this? And they say, well, it tends to elevate my mood. And actually, often they say that they actually smoke cigarettes and they masturbate. So this is having some effect on dopamine or serotonin. So it's a mood elevator. Yes. So, so underlying this is a mood problem. So it may be, it may be what we used to call dysthymia, low-grade depression, anxiety, or actually Kafka says actually boredom. It's a mood alteration. And it, I, would, I would agree with you, Dave, as a, a non-psychological venereologist. I yeah. call myself venereologist. Um, I would say very much, you, you do see this sort of patient, and there's always sort of hint they're a little bit depressed. But do you agree that flavour is, is a pathological? Yes, I, I would, and it's a difficult thing to pick up on, and it comes with some wisdom on the part of the doctor. Yeah, and it also comes with asking, asking the right questions, like, really, does it interfere with your life? So, in his, in his criteria... He says the fantasies or urges or behaviours, you know, they repeatedly interfere with important non-sexual goals, activities, or obligations, so home or work. I've got it. It's one of the things I've scribbled against. As against the, so actually I've that, brought it out already. I guess the flavour of what I see is, is these guys who actually do this. It interferes with their work and they have these mood problems and they've tried unsuccessfully to do something about it. If people watch a porn, you know, the people aren't going to get STIs. If they masturbate, they're not. But yet they interfere with their lives, and we may see them, but it's the ones who, who are repeatedly may go to sex workers. You've just said something that's very important. The average yes. man doesn't like going to his general practitioner, and hardly goes to his general practitioner, yeah. unless it's a physical illness. Right. We certainly, in ST eye clinics or sexual health clinics, maybe the first person to see right. a young or middle-aged man with this sort of behavior. Yes, indeed. So, and I mentioned that men who have sex with men, almost in a sense to differentiate that, perhaps, because you can have a, you can have a gay man who fits into this category, but you know, one of the problem areas in HIV is, is the seroconversion phase. And there's a lot of evidence that the people in the seroconversion phase, particularly men who have sex with men, have unhappy pasts and they may have, yeah, people may have depressive illnesses. It's very difficult. And yeah. I spent my whole life looking after men who have sex with men. Yes. They, anything at the moment in the political background. Well, that's right. It's not the actual sexuality. It's how society, and they respond to yeah. it. Because there's certainly, and you'll see more of this in London, a, a, yeah. a group of men who have sex with men who do have quite a lot of psychological disabilities. Yes. In, in a way, social side of the laws leapt ahead, but hasn't actually always thought of the intimate medical and psychological side. Well, that's right. The other thing about the, about the HIV-positive men is that a lot of their sort of hypersexual activity is actually fueled, is fueled by drugs like cocaine. Yep. In fact, it could be that their seroconversion illnesses and or their low moods take them 
to use drugs, and we know this, there's evidence in this, there's something called the Bolger Conference, they use drugs like cocaine and also like Viagra. Yeah. So they have this very hypersexual, hypersexual state. But actually Kafka, in fact, excludes them in his category, probably is not associated with a drug of abuse or a medication. Yep. So although, although it is something that we see in an STI clinic and it has to be seen and managed, actually this will be secondary hypersexual activity. I'd almost call this a low self or body esteem. Uh, I, I've certainly seen and you've seen and we've all heard of uh, people who've been infected with HIV who've actually almost wanted to pick up HIV. Yes, 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 exactly. You know, I think the critic of him say... Well, actually, what you're really talking about here is actually low mood. And actually, this ought to be categorized amongst the depressive illnesses, not amongst the sexual illnesses. So there's a lot of talk about that. Well, I can see that point of view, but that is looking very much from a specialist point of view. Right. Of a psychologist or psychiatrist trying to categorize his or her patients into a psychiatrist, rather like us trying to categorize patients into various forms of STDs. Right, But yeah. what we have to do as a medical profession is actually to provide a service for the public. Um, yes. uh, uh, and uh, Joe Bloggs or, or Mary Ann who comes to see us. Yes, indeed. Uh, well, one of the two things you say actually almost creep back to the Austrian and the German sort of psychologists like Kraft Ebbing. That's over 100 years ago now, sort yes. of talking and yes. writing. It's very interesting what you're saying. Yes, yes. You know, to tell you the truth, there's not a lot of empirical evidence about yeah, it. I, I noticed that, and that was going, going to be a point I was going to ask you yes. about. There was a part about uh, Kafka, Kafka writing suggested that dysfunctional cerebral monoamines uh, interact with sex hormones. As a doctor based on science, one would like to know what the papers are and what research work's been done rather than a suggestion. That could have been some distorted conference or whatever. No, in this 34-page document of his, there is some animal, I think there is some animal work, but coming actually on to treatment if i see these patients and they and they ask for help uh i i work with a psychologist and we put them onto high dose ssris like prozac yes. or paroxetine really really that's akin to an obsessive compulsive illness they use yep. high dose there and you can ask what are you actually doing but a lot of the patients uh, their mood stabilizes and they feel much much better yeah. And we use cognitive behavior therapy and we use mindfulness meditation also so they can sit with their impulses. They can get families back. They can get their jobs back. And what we're actually doing, I'm not exactly sure, because as you know, you put people under high-dose SSRIs, yeah, one of their effects is to decrease sexual drive. So perhaps it's as simple as that. You know, coming away from the empirical evidence, um, it certainly, it certainly does sort of work in many people that I see, but it's not an easy condition to manage. Well, I, 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 what I'm going to ask you to do, David, is this is a new idea, is to sort of recapitulate on what you think the main things that Kafka and your paper brings across, yeah. uh, and a little bit about diagnosis, and what you think that uh, doctors in sexual health settings should be on the lookout for. Okay, so the main, main lab diagnostic criteria are that people have a recurrent sexual urges and fantasies and activities, and that will be in the background of a dysphoric mood, be it like depression or anxiety or a boredom, and that interferes either with their home life or their work life to a significant extent and it causes distress to them and it's not caused by any other psychiatric illness 
or a drug like cocaine. Okay. Anything else you'd like to add about what sort of questions uh, would you get the sexual health clinician uh, to look for or signs uh, for to try and sort of... uh, Okay. Um, well, I've summarised them in, in this box. Do you feel your sexual behaviour is out of control often? So once again, uh, the man who hasn't got these problems or just says lots of sex is not out of control. He, it's what he wants to do. The, the patient often feel preoccupied with thoughts about sex. I mean, this is for hours and hours a day, not... fleeting uh, um, minutes. Yeah, that's right. Um and and that uh, so after the patient have you know you know your sexual problems or thoughts you know yeah have they created problems for you or your partner or your family are you able to focus on other things in your life like for instance work and your pastimes do you feel that you have to hide actually certain aspects of your behaviour you know have you tried has the patient tried to alter their behavior have they made an effort uh, if it's under their volition and they have and they haven't got this syndrome the people who've got this syndrome they have tried and it just doesn't work one wonders if they've ever sought treatment for it particularly their mood disorders well thank you david that was uh, david goldmeyer uh, of paddington st mary's hospital london speaking this is michael war in leeds uh, formerly of the general infirmary at leeds uh, doing the questioning I'd like to thank David very much indeed for a jolly good expose and teaching us all about uh, this new idea uh, of sexual addiction. It's worth thinking about, and I hope uh, that this uh, talk this afternoon will help others in looking after patients. Thank you very much indeed, David. Thanks. All the best. For more information about this programme and other BMJ Group podcasts, go to podcasts.bmj.com.